Kimberly C. Paul. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. So I'm welcoming not only uh, a colleague in a sense, but also a virtual friend because we've never met face to face. But we do connect um, monthly uh, via this wonderful thing called technology, even though sometimes in the mountains of New Hampshire, it uh, seems to be difficult. But welcome to the show, Rachel. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. This is great. Well, I really am excited about having you here because there's certain things that are evolving when this kind of death positive movement is happening. And I always like when I find someone doing something a little bit different and has a little different perspective and is bringing it toward this movement that nationally we are seeing, um, hopefully going to cross over to mainstream and not just uh, sticking with those who are in the death and dying or end-of-life industry. But first, before we even start to talk about what you uniquely are doing in this field, I want to ask, you know, what's your story? How did you become interested in end-of-life? And, you know, what is up with this title called Certified End-of-Life Coach? And by the way, I love it, though, (laughs) because I think I need a coach in life as well as death. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first, I have to say, you are like a mentor to me. I just want to say that for <laughs> quickly and briefly. Um, Will you call my dad? <laughs> <laughs> um, just because I, as I was getting ready for this interview, I was driving to my other appointment and I thought, I, you know, I kind of was having a bad day today. I, You mentioned technology and just things not working out as we had planned and there, there have been many times since I have come across your path and you and I have gotten to know each other that I have thought, you know what, if Kimberly is out there doing this, I can do this too. Like I can keep <laughs> going this, everything's going to be okay. Cause you know what? Brave people do brave things. So I just want to oh. say that starting out because just what you're doing is so brave. You know, you're not only, um, you're not just, you're putting your money where the mouth, your mouth is like, you know, you are really doing the work. So thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, well, the, the little money that I have, uh, well, yes, it does I, yeah, go I to should, the overall I mission. We'll, we'll say, well, and rather than that, we'll say, uh, you're, uh, where the, you're meeting where the rubber meets the road, literally like the RV, you're doing it. You're doing the work. That's well, what I mean you. to say. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, in, in the same vein, you know, it takes, Everybody sees me as an individual, but it takes people like yourself who are out there supporting me via text or via uh, phone calls or emails. And and so it is a community and and you're part of my community. So, you know, I think you're brave to to even even connect with me because I feel like sometimes (laughs) I'm a little bit insane, you know, just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, yeah. So back to your question. So, um, yeah, I live in Oregon. I'm out here in Oregon and Oregon is a very progressive state. I feel in, um, you know, we have the death with dignity act. We have, um, death is, uh, 
it's just a really progressive area to be in as far as having these end of life conversations and death cafes and just um the city of Portland, Oregon is very, very um forward thinking as far as the death movement. Um so my experience actually um came about as many do working with hospice um or getting into the hospice work. I had a series of losses, several. I mean, my family, we were hit just death after death after death, some in very extremely tragic ways in a very short amount of time, and then some in very beautiful ways. And so I feel like in about a four-year time period, I really got to know death very well, (laughs) and my family also. And one of those experiences, a family friend was diagnosed with cancer and they, they faced that. They have since been gone, um, you know, several years. They faced that with such a level of, and I hate to use the word playfulness because that isn't the right word, but a level of lightheartedness and almost a, it is what it is. You know, this is what it is. It was stage four at the time. And the way that they walked through that diagnosis was so inspiring to me that it actually changed the trajectory of my whole career. And I didn't know it at the time it was happening, as many of us don't. But I just, I started as a hospice volunteer because I had seen such beautiful work being done that I thought I want to join in on this however I can in whatever capacity. And at that time it was as a volunteer and my, the, the, I always say that I get the best patients because I just think I do. I don't know. I have this way of, I just get in with these people that I get to join in on their lives or at the time as a volunteer in a way that was so meaningful and beautiful and special that it just fueled my fire to then go on and find another mentor of mine, Patty Burgess, who has a wonderful um, curriculum, online curriculum to become certified as an end of life coach. And her program is um, again, all online based and uh, wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, and so I became certified as an end of life coach. So in, in that it was much, I, I really thought I was doing all of this as a very patient and family focused um, position a, as a coach, as a, as a, a doula is another word that's being used, you know, all around the country. Um, and it was from that experience of becoming certified and kind of facing my own person. She, she has a, uh, experience that's facing your own um, personal, it's called the personal death inventory. And all of those things combining, it's kind of like when, when all of the stars align and you just, you know that you have found exactly what you're supposed to be doing. That was what had happened to me as a, after I became certified. I thought, this is it. And so I've been practicing as um, very much patient-centered, um, patient and family-centered for the last four years. Um, in my community locally, but then my practice, um, what, what it has come to be now has really grown over the last year. That's much more, um, I like to say I support those who are on healthcare's front lines. Um, and we can talk about that more and kind of how I got into that, but hopefully that that answers your question. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So to clarify, you know, end of life coach, is an end-of-life doula or is there something that separates 
you guys? Or is it the kind of the same, just different titles? It, it's the same, different titles. Um, I bring in a lot more. So my coaching that I, what it has evolved to, and the reason I use the word coach rather than doula, which they are interchangeable. And I could, I could use either or either term it um, interchangeably. Um, but I choose to use the word coach or consultant. A lot of times I'll even use the word consultant, just kind of depending on where the client's at. I always meet the client where they're at with the needs that they bring with them. Um, but as far as a coach goes, I am very forward thinking in my coaching in what I offer. So it would be if somebody came to me at kind of on more of the patient level, if a patient or a client came to me or their family member and they were, um, say, fa- facing a diagnosis or um, whatever the situation, cir- circumstances are, if it was a, um, you know, there was, there was a, cir- a diagnosis that had been given, I come on the scene, I come into the picture um, and very much ask them, who would you want to be, who do you want to be through this? You know, regardless of what the outcome is, regardless regardless of the circumstances that that are presented, the diagnosis that is happening, how do you want to who who do you want to be through this? How do you want to show up through this? So that's how my 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 techniques have evolved. In as far as a doula, what I kind of think of as an actual doula is more the spiritual, emotional connection in the home with the patient at bedside. So mine is very much more a, I get, I really work with the patients in the, in the coaching aspect of it, in the let's, let's look at where you're at and where you want to go during this time. And, and how do you, what are those, what are those actual, you know, thoughts that you're going to bring to the situation? How do you want to show up? So that's how I like to explain the difference even between a doula and a coach I have taken the strength that I have personally to be, I'm, I, I love to inspire people to action. That's my, I think that's just my gifting. I was born with that. And, and yet it, even in the, even in the circumstance of death and dying, that, that can, that can happen. We can, we can be inspired to action regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the diagnosis. And I think that's what our family friend was the gift that they gave me before they left was they were so inspired to action because of the diagnosis that that is what is inspiring to me. So that's why I use, I choose to word, use the word coach, um, end of life coach rather than end of life doula. Thank you for that explanation because it, it, it's, it is so confusing um, you know, it's like a la carte these days. Um, and, and really what we're talking about is, is really living because what happens, even the dying, even those, um, diagnosed with a serious illness are still living. And so I see this like end of life coach is prompting perhaps questions that we don't know we need to ask ourselves. Is that correct? Yes. So much. So, so much. You hit the nail on the head. Yes. Yes from an experienced person who has taken full advantage of therapy, um, what, what is the difference between coaching and therapy? Are, are they intertwined a little bit? Yeah, no, great question. So there, so I like to look at it as therapy is very much, and I am, I am also such a huge proponent, proponent of therapy. I think that there are such 
gifts and healing that can come through therapy and counseling. Um, but what I like to say is therapy is, um, seeks, you know, therapy seeks to heal the emotional wounds, kind of the past, the past, the past hurts, the things, the hangups that we can't get over, the things that we really need to dive deeply into to begin to become more, um, more functioning, you know, maybe even, um, kind of therapy kind of brings somebody from a dysfunctional place, maybe to a higher functioning level where, um, coaching actually focuses on self-knowledge, um, self-awareness, you know, better self-management and always growth. Like coaching is always about growth, about results, about what, if you think about like a basketball team, like you have a coach on a team because they know the next play, like they can help you to see, well, because of this happening on the, on the ball field or, you know, on the court, what, what, what's the next action that we need to move towards to get that next result? And, and again, you know, it's so interesting to me as I'm moving forward in my, in, in my practice and as I gain experience, even in death, even in dying, it, you know, people say, why, why would you need a coach in dying? Like, why would you need a coach in death? Well, it's just what you said. It's, it's asking the questions. It's looking at the next play. It's like, what are the next things? Even, even the, the circumstance of a, you know, a diagnosis, like what are the, what are the things that we need to talk about here that, that, that are going to get us the results that we want? And, and people get really hung up on that. They think, they think that death just, it, it you know, it, it's going to happen one way. And I like to say, you know, everybody knows this in end of life work, no death happens the same way. And so I, so that is, you know, the difference between therapy where when somebody has some unresolved issues and I have sent clients to therapy, you know, we, we weren't necessarily, they weren't necessarily ready for coaching, but they, but they were open and ready for therapy. And so I have, um, you know, even on a local level here, I have, I have people that I can refer them to some, um, therapists and counselors that maybe there are some deeper wounds there that need to be addressed before the coaching can happen. And so that's why I just hold therapy so in such high regard because that is a need sometimes. I so relate this to my sister and the whole first pregnancy and birth process. And, you know, she, she was the kind of person, a type personality just wanted to control everything and, and, you know, mantras and my body's able to do this. And um, she wanted a natural birth and she went through all of prepping herself. But as soon as she went into full labor, she wheeled herself into the hospital yelling for an epidural. <laughs> and so, and so uh-huh. what I tried to say, cause she feel like she had failed. And I said, I said, Julie, you know, the, the you didn't fail. It was a matter of you going through that thinking process that really brought you to knowing what you needed. Yeah. And and that can change on a dime. And I, I think this coaching process can is something similar. And and so help me understand, is that correct in the way I'm thinking about that? Well, in my practice specifically, so what so what I'm specifically doing um now, what things have have evolved to is like I said, I'm working with those on healthcare, you know, the the, the physicians, the nurses, 
um, social workers that are working with the dying that are, that are, and not, I shouldn't even say working with the dying. That's not correct. That are in the medical profession, have chose to be in the medical profession, have gone to school to be a doctor, and yet they have never explored what they think of death. And I got it. Okay. And so what's happening what and this is the so this is what I'm I'm one to jump in with both feet. I jump in with both feet. So when I go into something, I take it so seriously that I want to know as mu- I want to gain as much information and experience as I can. So what I did during my certification process while I was getting certified as an end of life coach, I went to our local my local hospital and I explained to them. I, I'm becoming certified as an end-of-life coach. I would love to volunteer my services, not as far as an end-of-life coach, but to gather the, the patient experience, the bedside experience. Because my background is not in it, clinical medicine. My background is not, you know, hospital setting, none of that. So I really wanted to get that experience. So I worked with the volunteer coordinator, and we created a position that we called comfort rounding. They they gave me a lot of freedom, a lot of um, a lot of. I got to be very creative in what that looked like, and they were very gracious with me. They were very welcoming to the ideas that I brought, Um, and so we created this comfort rounding position. And so what it was was I would show up for one shift a week, every week, and literally I was. I, all I got was a, I would show up and I would have a, um, I would be given a room number and a patient name. And that was it. I didn't know what they were in there for. I didn't know family circumstances. I didn't know diagnoses. I didn't know anything. And so what it gave me that year that I did this position, it gave me such a wonderful experience of being able to read a room very quickly, being able to read personalities, being able to sit bedside. The first thing I learned after just a couple weeks, I learned that there was always a folding chair in the closet in the, in every hospital room in our hospital. There was always a fo- extra folding chair. And I would immediately go in and if the patient seemed responsive to me being there, and I had no agenda, I had no time limit. It was It was just being present. It was just being there, whether that was they just wanted a cup of ice chips and to be left alone, or whether that was they wanted me to come in and visit. And I would ask very quickly if they seemed responsive, I would say, do you mind if I pulled up a chair and sat down next to your bed? And you cannot believe, well, you probably could believe Kimberly, but <laughs> you, um, the, the stories, the tears, the heaviness, the burdens, the weights in 15 minutes that I would hear. And what began happening over time as I was building up my rapport with the floor staff, you know, the people, the staff on the floor, as I was building up my rapport with the doctors, with the nurses, what was happening was I was seeing these patients that and some of them were hospice. We did have a ho- one hospice wing. Some of them were hospice, but but some of them were not. Many of them were not end of life. But a lot of the patients, they had had surgery after surgery. They had they had been in and out of the hospital so many times. They were they would tell me with tears in their eyes. This happened so often. A lot of the older patients, they would say, 
I'm done. Like they would tell a complete stranger sitting bedside, I'm ready to stop. I'm ready to, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. And I would be sitting there and then so many times the doctor would come in and it was, okay, we've got you on to your next, you know, we're, you'll be moved this afternoon. You're going on to your next, um, the rehab center. We've got you all set. You're on for 30 days. We've got it. We, you know, we've got it in the system. We've talked to your daughter. She's on board. And it was immediately, I just thought, what is the breakdown here? Like, why, why would they tell a stranger in 15 minutes as she pulls up a chair next to their bed that they're ready to go and they're ready to be, to, to, you know, to die. And then like a whirlwind, everything would change for them. And it was because I was a stranger and it was because I had no agenda for their life. All I wanted to do was literally sit down. All I was doing was gaining experience. That's what I was there for. And that was what I did not expect to have happen. I thought very much my coaching was going to be patient centered. And what happened was I thought, what is the breakdown here? Why are these doctors so afraid to have these discussions? Why is this not, um, why is this not happening sooner? Why are the referrals not coming? And yet then even at the same time, it was so conflicting because as a hospice volunteer, I was seeing these beautiful stories of these patients who had been referred to hospice and had had these, they were having these wonderful experiences at home with family, surrounded by family, dying at home, which we all know, you know, 80% of people want to die at home and only 20% actually do. And so I thought it's the doctors. I mean, it just kept hitting me over and over week after week. It's the doctors. It's the doctors. It's, you know, what, how, if, if, you know, if I'm not afraid of death, if I'm moving towards this, this work, this end of life work, facing death as a fact, I love to say death is, death is a fact. It's not a failure. And as I moved, as I was moving forward in this work and gaining this experience, you know, I just started asking the doctors as I would build up this rapport with them. And it was very interesting to kind of step out of my comfort zone. Like, who am I to approach a doctor? Who am I? And not even at our local hospital. I started reaching out to other doctors, even, you know, others on the internet. I would reach out just to gain as much. Again, I don't do things lightly, so I want to get as much information as I can. I would start reaching out to these physicians and the ones that would respond and be willing to talk to me. I would be very open and just say, I'm, I'm just trying to get wrap my mind around this. Like, what? what is happening? What, what are you taught in medical school? What do you know about, you know, death, not as far as the dying process, because they know the dying process, like they know the medical dying process. But if, if death isn't a medical event, like if we go back to that thought of death isn't a medical event, it's a life event. Like, tell me as a physician, what do you know about death as, as just part of life? And it was, it was, it opened up, this whole area for me to see doctors are human. They look at death the same way that most of our society looks at death. They're scared of it. They don't know how to approach it. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to grasp losing a patient. They don't know how to give up. They don't, or not give up. I shouldn't say give up, but they don't know when is enough. When is enough treatment? When is, if death is a failure, 
you know, because you don't go to medical school to have your patients die. If, if that's what they're coming into the rooms offering, of course they're going to refer their patient to the next rehab, to the next procedure, to the next surgery. Of course they are. Like, that, like how, can we, how can we ask them to do any differently unless we're willing to ask them the question, what do you even think about death? What are your thoughts about death? And so it was just in that gaining that knowledge that my whole practice has changed. Like my whole coaching oh, well. has changed. Like I said, in this last year, it's just become this, this whole other thing that I didn't see coming. And I'm so honored that I, that I get to do this work and that the doctors are willing to, to have these conversations and to coach one-on-one with me. It's, it's just been a really amazing experience. Totally. (laughs) I think that you're coming at a great time because we're getting to the point, uh, you know, of course, we Americans monetize everything and and death tends to be in there as well. Um, Why would it be any different? And we do. There's a couple of things that you said that just were like light bulb moments for me is that physicians are human for and, and, and we as consumers within the healthcare industry. Um, we've got to realize our own part and give ourselves permission to ask the right questions. And someone like you, even working with patients and family, you kind of bridge that gap of, hey, this question might be something very appropriate to ask the, the doctor. Uh, but also, you know, in this crazy world of, you know, individuals facing, everyone's going to die, facing end of life, we sometimes forget that that really is hard, A, for us of working in the healthcare industry, but B, it's like we do see it as a failure. And I love what you said, that death is a fact. It's not a failure. And and we, we've got to ask the right questions about what does quality mean for this specific individual and arrange care around quality, not necessarily around you know, productivity or trajectory or the traditional path of how we treat this diagnosis. And I, I think that the human level in, in being a practitioner these days is, is so overwhelming that it's like, let's check the box and move on. It's about productivity. Yes. And I have to admit, I don't think those who have, who began their journey, you know, from, high school to college to medical school to, you know, residency and to become a physician, they didn't sign up for this culture. You know, they didn't, they didn't want this to be about productivity. They got involved because they wanted to help people. And I think you allowing them to, to kind of get rid of the titles and ask basic questions and, and with your experience allows the patient to become a human being and the doctor to become a human being. And maybe we can connect on that level before we go to any other titles. Um, yeah. And that's what I love about this whole coaching that it's, it's, it's two ways it's for patients and families, but it's also for those of us who are working in this healthcare industry. Yeah. Well, and kind of going back to that, um, the doctors being human point. Um, we have a, my husband and I have a wonderful family friend. He is a, he was a practic, practicing psychiatrist for 35 years and, um, him and his wife, uh, lost their son to SIDS 
in uh, the early 90s, I think it was. Um, he was, their son was only, oh, I, I want to say four or five months old when, when he died to SIDS. And, you know, here's our friend who's a psychiatrist. And he told me, I was at, he was one of the people that I asked a lot of questions about this. You know, tell me about medical school. Tell me about what they teach you about death in medical school. You know, he was kind of an open book in a lot of ways because I was able to get a really insider, but also personal because he was a friend. He is is a friend of ours. And when, when they lost their son, their only child to SIDS, um, he actually um, went, he needed help. He actually left his, left practicing. He was not practicing. He took about a year off because he just couldn't, he just couldn't, he couldn't mentally be with his patients while going through the grief and the loss of his son. And it was during that time that he sought out help. You know, he, he sought out help and he actually, he, he's was in the United States and he actually went and sought help in Canada because he could not, he, he, he did, there's such a stigma against physicians who need help. There's such a stigma against seeking help. It goes anytime. And he, and I, I didn't think about this piece of it, but anytime somebody seeks therapy or counseling or, you know, psychological help in any way, if you run it through your, through your insurance, there is a record of that. And I had never thought of it in that way that he could not bring himself to, if, if anybody knew that he needed help, it would be shameful. It would, it would be shameful to know that he could not keep it together. And he also told me, which I thought that story in itself was so tragic and sad that that, that that was, and that was his own personal experience. That's what, that's what he experienced. I can't. Yeah, but I've, I've heard many, yeah, I've heard many practitioners, even lawyers feel the same way. Yeah. That that there's a shame about it. Yeah. And then he went on to say that many in his practice, people that would come to see him who were um, clinicians, who were, you know, physicians in whatever capacity, um, would come to him, so again, as a psychiatrist, would come to him and would pay cash and they would not use their, their real name. <laughs> and I thought, what is going on here? Like, what what is going on here? And I just dug into that deeper and I asked more questions and more questions, not just of him, but again, any, any doctor that would talk to me, I was asking questions and I just, there, there, I can tell you truly and honestly, there has not been one doctor that I have not talked to that said that they did not know somebody in medical school or their early years of practicing that have not committed suicide. Oh, wow. Wow. And all of these things that I'm, that I, all of this information that I'm finding, it just brings it back to that fact, what we just said a few minutes ago of doctors are human. They're human. Like they are, they are real people that struggle with the same things that we struggle with. And that is what my entire practice is becoming based on is when I coach with somebody, it doesn't, I don't, 
they're no different to me, whether they're a doctor or, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't matter to me because I just come with, with the ideas of let's just talk about death and dying as on a human level. Let's start there. You know, why is death a problem? You know, what, what if death was okay? What if death didn't mean anything went wrong? You know, what if death is a part of life? Like those are the questions that we start with. And I think when, when a medical professional who is on the front lines, again, serving the patients with all of, you know, with everything that they have, the long hours, everything that they put into practicing medicine. And when they, when, when they're asked those questions for the first time, many of them for the first time, they have never had the opportunity to even explore. It's almost like they're on the, you know, the hamster wheel of life. And like you said, they, when they went to high school and college and on to medical destination school thinking, be- yeah, it's like, yeah, what's next? you know, it's the next thing. It's the next thing. And it's almost like when they give themselves the gift of coaching, when they give themselves the gift of actually 40, you know, visiting with somebody and, or, you know, coaching with somebody and, and having them ask those questions, just the signing up for coaching alone is giving themselves a gift because it says that they're ready. Like they are ready to take themselves to that next level. They're ready. You know, they're, they're in that burnout mode there. I've had, I've, I have, I have had doctors come. I actually just finished up with a client that she was ready to leave medicine. Like she was ready to leave. She said, I, and this wasn't even end of life. This was, you know, she was practicing in another specialty. Um, and she was ready to leave. And I worked with her on what would a five-year plan look like? You know, not say, I don't know what's best for you. I don't know if leaving medicine, that might be the best thing for you. I don't know, but let's talk about it. Like, let's, let's look at, look at your options here. Let's look at, again, kind of going back to that, getting that self-awareness, that, that kind of development, developing yourself right where you are. You know, I meet my clients right where they are. You know, my job is to show them their shot, show, you know, show them their thoughts and I show up to serve them exactly where they are. And I think, I don't know if doctors just have such a, again, going back to that, why, why can't they let that guard down when they have to pay cash and, and, you know, go to counseling under an alias? Like, what is that there? What is that? And, and how do, how do we begin to change that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's this, and I can only apply it to, to, you know, personally myself. It's like you, you us it just put it talk about women and looking in the mirror and the body shaming and i'm not perfect when all all the people who are attracted to us they're not attracted to us because we're perfect they're attracted because of our imperfections that make us yeah. exactly who we are and 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 i do believe that sometimes the healthcare you know providers whether it's a cna in an acute setting right down to someone answering the phone or a physician, nurse, social worker, they see a lot of trauma. Yeah. They see a lot of trauma. And sometimes you get this sort of this next patient. And it's not a name, it's a number. Yeah. It's almost like this our mind won't go there. Yeah. Um and I and I think <laughs> it sounds crazy, but I so wish I knew you when I was working in end of life, um, in a, you know, a career in hospice, because there's certain things that you're telling and, and saying today that I'm like, man, I could have really utilized you in a way that, hey, um, this, this is just, rec- this is what I'm hearing. And this is, 
what you know what my perspective is but just to to make it a little bit more human um yeah. instead of just numbers and data and 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 that eventually opened the door for me to to leave what I call corporate hospice uh-huh. you know about reimbursement and not about connection with patients and uh-huh. and I think that us who work in the healthcare field if that connection with patients and families, that feeling of we're making a difference and making things better, whether that's no treatment or more treatment, um, we we lose we lose this momentum of why we got exactly where we are. Yeah. What started us on this trajectory. Yeah. So so let me ask you this. It, you know, I'm thinking about, oh, I might can work with you now, but but how do people work with you? How do people find you? Yeah. Um, so I am, I offer complete, it's all, all of my coaching is done one-on-one. So it, I am, I am a very basic girl. <laughs> I am a very, um, there's not a lot of bells and whistles with my coaching. And I don't mean that to downplay what I do. I mean that to upplay what I do. I, like I said, I meet my clients exactly where they are. I, I, care about my patients. I, I show up with such, I just am so sincere in, I really truly want my clients to get the results that they want in their life. You know, kind of back to that analogy of like a baseball or a basketball team. You know, I have some plays, I have some tools, I have, I have things that I coach from such a place of integrity as far as I have a coach, I have, I have actually two coaches right now that I'm working with very closely because I always want to be taking myself to that next level. And I can never expect my clients to be pushing themselves to the next level if, if I'm not coaching from such a place of integrity that I am pushing myself to the next level. And I know, I know without a doubt that the tools that I have work. I, I, I know that with all of my being, I know it. And wow. so in, in saying that, um, I, it's a very, I have a very small practice. Um, I offer one-on-one coaching. Um, is that I virtual can, too? I mean, virtual is, yes. coaching. Uh-huh. Okay, yep, cool. Yep. 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 I can do, yeah, we can either do, you know, zoom calls. We can do, uh, I prefer, um, over the phone. I really do. I prefer it's 45 minutes once a week and I prefer over the phone because I've, I pick up on the, it sounds strange, but the actual tone of people's voices, um, when you don't have the distraction of the face to face or the, the screen to screen, I should say, like if you are doing virtual coaching, the screen to screen for me is very distracting, but the, the, just hearing the voice and kind of the inflections and tones of a voice. I can tell when they're really buying the ideas that I'm presenting and I can tell when they're not. And I've just learned to pick up on, it kind of goes back to that comfort rounding position of, even though that was face to face, you know, I'm a very good read of people. And I, and when I come with such a heart of service to truly get my clients, the results that they want in their life, one-on-one and over the phone is the ideal sweet spot for me. But in saying that, I will, if somebody absolutely prefers screen to screen, you know, virtually, that that is also fine. We can do that. Um, but what has happened now also, again, not to be one that lets grass grow under my feet, um, I have had several people reach out to me that have wanted to know more about 
how to create their own practice and how to, how they could do this in their area. I have one woman in particular that is so on fire for this idea in her area. And that is inspiring to me to know that not because of something that I have done, but alongside of the information, you know, going even back to my mentor and my coaches, like kind of like you said at the beginning, Kimberly, of like, you are not a one man show. Like you are where you are because of your experience, the years that you've put in to gaining the knowledge that you have, the sponsors that you have, the, you know, all of the things that you have. It's like you have this team that works alongside of you, even though you are, you appear to be one person, you have that team. And I am much the same. Like, I feel like I have so much to bring to the table that I don't want to keep that to myself. Like I would love to work with others who like when they hear this and they hear what I'm saying and it's, it resonates with them and they think that they could do it too. There's no doubt in my mind that they could do it too. There's no doubt. Oh, well. Zero. And so, I, so it's exciting to me to know and to hear from the people and the ones that I am working with that have bravely decided to do this work or to learn more about it. I'm all in. I'm all in on that. So, um, yeah, they can reach me. I have a website. Um, I have, you know, email address. I would be more than happy to talk to people if they are interested in it. And, and, and just, you know, just to visit with them. I love hearing people's stories. I love knowing what has brought them to, to the point where they're at and where do they want to go? Like that's, that's the biggest, most inspiring thing in my life. I actually told my husband a couple nights ago, I said, I can't believe I get to do this work. Like I can't (laughs) believe I get to do what I'm doing and make a living doing it. Like this is amazing. It's like all of the stars have aligned and I have found my lane. Like my, this is my lane. And you know, if that inspires others, if they're listening to this and they are like, I got to know more about this. I would love to talk to them. Just send me, you know, send me an email or even on my website, there's a way to um, give me your information and I can get back to them. Totally. Let's give the listeners your website right now. Yeah. So it's, um, so www.rgccoaching.com. And in through your website, you can find her email and contact her um, even if you want to learn how to become an end of life coach or you feel like you need some support. And I'm, I'm going to just make this as basic as I can. You know, everyone needs a community of cheerleaders and I would have never gotten to where I am if I did not have people texting me saying, where are you? Or you can do this because fear paralyzes us as human beings. And I believe only until you cross that line and live outside of your comfort zone do we really have a chance to live a fully bold, intentional life. And and we in the healthcare industry, and I remember years of working, 17 years in the healthcare industry, I sometimes made what I was doing more of a priority than myself. And I believe you can allow us to look at ways of work-life balance, of how do I take care of myself as I take care of the dying. And I believe it is time for all of us to wake up knowing that we have got to have people taking care of the dying, but we also need to take care of those who are taking care of the dying because we're going to need them. 
and we don't want them to be burned out. And and I feel like you are so vital in in hope in allowing this to to give us an opportunity to to take care of those um, taking care of the dying. So I, I applaud you. I mean, I think what you're doing is amazing, and I cannot tell you. Every day I talk to palliative care physicians. I talk to people in hospice who are like, I don't know if I can continue this. Yeah. And they need you. And well, so and that's please. what I would say is that is, that is, that's the overarching theme is I, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep doing this. And you can, you, you can keep doing it. You just have to get back to why did you go into medicine in the first place? And just that I, I just love, and I'll keep saying it, you know, death is a fact. It's, it's not a failure. It's a fact of life. And when you can, when you, it's almost as if when you can put that on the table first and just, you know, we're all sitting around a big table and it's like, okay, let's, let's just put death on the table first. Like that's going to happen. It's just, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and, and how, like what are the, what all of us, for all of us, if we can just put that on the table first and then all of the other things on the table, it's almost like everybody can breathe a sigh of relief. Because if you think about the hamster wheel, if you're running on the hamster wheel to fight death every single day, how exhausting is that? You know, that's so exhausting. And so yeah, if, I, if, I totally agree. Yeah, but if if we can just begin, and that's why that's why you are a mentor of mine, is because you are you're out there ha- getting the people to have the conversations. Like we need to have these conversations. So what are we going to do to get there? And everyone needs to figure out what is your what is your gift, what is your lane, what where are you going to serve, and how are you going to serve to the best of your capacity? And I love what you said. Like everybody needs a support system. If you don't have a support system it's not going to work. It's not sustainable. It's, it's just not, you can't keep going. So I love what you're saying. Yes. hundred percent. Well, well, and that's the thing, you know, is, is this whole journey sparked, you know, living in an RV going state to state for two and a half years, it sparked knowing that my life will end one day. And, and I sort of <laughs> went in it backwards. It's like, if it's going to end. Then what do I need to do to feel like I'm living. Yeah. Um, and, yep. and that's, I came from knowing that this life that I'm leading, this body that I'm living in will end one day. And, and I, I really, it's really important to meet people where they're at. Yeah. And I feel yep. like, I feel like we conform to the healthcare system, to Medicare, to, we conform a lot, but when you want to have a serious conversation and, not so serious conversation about a very taboo subject. You've got to bend and meet people where they're at. And and that's one one of the greatest things that I'm finding on this tour is is that I'm finding a lot of connection through loss. Is I share a story and someone else shares their story. And yep. guess what? There's an opportunity for connection there. Yep. And then when you once you build connection, then there's an opportunity to either be a student or a teacher. And sometimes I'm a teacher and sometimes I'm very much a student. And and that's that's to me is is you know I want to, I don't want anything to die while I'm living. That's the most important thing to me. You know, and that, and death is just a moment. So 
Well, let's give uh, the listeners uh, your website one more time. And I, and I just, I think what you're doing can radically change individuals working in this healthcare field. And, and first of all, before we give that website, I mean, does it cost anything? That's what I'm interested in too, because you know, you, you're, this is a business. So tell me exactly about, you know, I, I, I think you do a no cost consultation call. Yes. Uh huh. Yep. And then, so where does it go from there? Let's just say I want to work with you. Yeah. And so, where do, what, what is that like? Yeah. So I offer, yes, a no cost consultation. I usually ask people to give me about, oh, 45 minutes or so, just because I'm, I I want to be so sure that the people that sign on to work with me are not that I'm judging in any way, but that they are a hundred percent in on getting the results. Cause I don't want to waste anybody's time. I really want people that are really deeply, deeply ready to do this work. So I ask that somebody give me about 45 minutes of time for a consultation. And then what I offer is it's a 16 week, so four month commitment. Um, we work together 45 minutes every week on, on a call. And then I have homework all throughout, um, all throughout the, the course or th- through the time together. I like to keep my coaching very um, open and fluid so that a lot of times we'll begin coaching on one thing. Like I've had doctors that want to know specifically how they can have a more compassionate, you know, with the time constraints that they're under, room to room, you know, patient to patient. What would it look like to have a more compassionate um, conversation, you know, about dying when they're under such time constraints. So we'll do, we'll kind of start, everything starts with kind of that, where are you at with death? What are your thoughts? You know, why is death a problem? Is death a problem? We start there and then we move into, if it's kind of time management, if that's kind of getting their thoughts around their time, around their day, around their schedule, kind of a work home balance, what would that look like? But then also kind of as they need to have the conversations with the patients about end of life, we can be, that can be the focus. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I like to say, and my coach tells me all the time, how we do one thing is how we do everything. So if we begin to gain traction and see the results in one area of our life, it kind of naturally bleeds over into other parts of our life where we want, if we start to gain momentum and see, see the results in one part, we go to the next. And so a lot of times I'll end up coaching on relationships, on time management, <laughs> on, um, sure. let's see. Oh, the, yeah, five-year, I just got done, like I mentioned with the one, the five-year plan of leaving medicine. Um, you know, there's just been lots of different, it, you don't ever really know. You think you might coach on one thing and then it ends up starting. They, I always let the client kind of present with the, at the beginning of the call and see where we go. And I always have plans of action if, if they don't have anything to present with. So, which is never the case ever. Um, but that's kind of how I run it. So, so I ask for, um, and I also ask for 15 minutes a day. I ask for a consistent, I have a practice, a daily practice. It's getting in the habit of giving yourself a gift of 15 minutes of time. And I have actually had people that did not sign on with me because they said they could not give themselves 15 minutes. So um, that also is 
kind of eye-opening to me. And, and a lot of, you know, I've heard doctors say so many times, I can't even sit down to eat lunch. Like I'm on a 12 hour shift. Like, how could I, how could I ever work with you? You know, I've had people when I'm out doing speaking engagements, they said, this is great, but I can't give myself 15 minutes a day. And, and that's just where they're at. That's, that's where they're at in life. And so that's okay. You know, and I, you know, I might speak to a group of a hundred doctors and, because we didn't even talk about that, but I do, I do offer speaking. And um, I might talk to a group of 100 doctors, and maybe one will pull me aside afterwards, or maybe one will follow up with an email or get on my website. That's the one I want. Because something sparked in them when they heard me speak that they felt, they felt that. They felt, I always, always hope that I am just shining a light. Wherever I am, like, and that's what I think about when we do this end of life work, we get to be the light in what everybody else feels is so dark. Like people ask all the time, how can you do this work? And I say, how can I not do this work? Like, how can I not? Do you know, I want to say, do you know what you're missing out on because you're not doing this work? You know, I don't know. So, so that's what I offer. Um, if anybody, yeah, I would love to come and Speak. I'm getting a lot more speaking engagements for this year and into the next year. So I'm I'm just really open to talking to. I just I just love people and I love yeah. hearing people's stories. So that's what I bring with me. So what the, if someone signed on for like the 16 week course? Uh-huh. What would what would that cost me? Is it kind of work on one on one? Is it catered to specifically what in or is there just a flat rate? Yeah, it's just a flat rate. So it's twenty four hundred dollars. For a 16-week commitment. That's not 16, bad. 16-week session, and that's, yeah, once a week. Wow. That's yeah. not bad at all. Yeah. It's, you know, it's very comparable to, um, like, therapy. You know, it's very it's very comparable pricing. Wow. Do you see your, your practice growing on a monthly basis right now? Yes. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. I never so, work... I never work just so people know numbers. I never work with more than 12 clients at one time. So I am oh, wow. very, okay. you know, that's, that's pretty, that's, that's a pretty small, I know coaches that have a lot more clients than that. And I'm so in it for, you know, yes, I want to make a living. My husband and I talk about this all the time. Like, where's the balance of helping those and serving those, but also making, you know, making ends meet and making paying bills sure. and you know I so I you know I do speaking engagements also that are and I've actually signed on with um, a couple of our local clinics they have brought me on to do some kind of consulting work with some of their um, clinicians and just to kind of reassess like where are they at these are all you know privately held um, clinics so you know I I'm 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 just loving watching this grow. I'm just really loving watching this grow. So it sounds like it. Give us your website one more time. Yep. So it's uh, www.rgccoaching.com. And listeners, this is the thing it's a free, no cost consultation up front. You know, why would you not just engage to see if this could be right for you to help you and your practice, whether it's um, in an RV traveling the country or in a practice or a caregiver or a patient trying to come to terms with what are the things that I don't know that I think I need to know to, to continue this 
full, bold living. Um, I tell you, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're a busy end-of-life coach, but I really um, admire what you're doing, and I hope your practice continues. You are much needed in this field, and and thanks for taking the time out and, and chatting with us today. Yeah, you are welcome. Thank you. Keep on keeping on, Kimberly. You're doing a good job. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.